Welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. Scott Linden here. Glad you could join me. Yep, busy time of year. We'll be talking about that, of course, and particularly about where you went for the opener. Just really curious about that. And uh, you'll be kind of surprised at some of the answers. We'll also have my friend Randy Schultz, road warrior, author, blogger, podcaster, jet jockey. He'll talk all things traveling wing shooting as well as all the things he's up to that you can take advantage of from a book or two, a podcast, uh, an audible book, his blog and his YouTube page, among other things. So I am so looking forward to talking to him about his his most recent road trip and what we might learn about traveling with dogs and new and old friends and, uh, oh yeah, hunting. <laughs> so um, stick around. Uh, we are all made possible by Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School, Trulock Choke Tubes, MidwayUSA.com, Purina Pro Plan Sport Dog Food, LandTrust.com, yeah access to private ground for you and high vis shooting systems see what you've been missing yeah we're hunting you'll get more of that soon don't worry but in the meanwhile i thought it would be fun to talk about um about what you've been doing or are you know so for some of you your first hunt of the season is not opening weekend and for some opening weekend uh, may not even be here yet if you for example if you live in kansas uh, but a lot of you got out and i was just curious these are the kind of things that wake me up in the middle of the night where do you go for that first hunt of the season personally i like to go somewhere that i know I want to kick off the season with a positive note. I've actually even written about that. Uh, go to the go to findbirdhuntingspots.com. There's a piece called Make Opening Day Epic. That's one of the bits of advice there. But a lot of you um, look for adventure on that first trip. A lot of you uh, have a tradition of one sort or another. So I asked the question, on the first hunt of the season, where will you or where have you been? Private ground, walk-in, preserve or lodge, or public ground. And some of the answers uh, might be useful to you. Chris Lee Hamby hunts National Forest. Well, I bet so, yeah. Um, grouse. Forest grouse, I bet. And then walk-in access for pheasants. Uh, Jay Knotner, public land, found some native quail. Congratulations in New Hampshire. I hope you took a picture. All right, Chris Stone, you're like me. I live right on the border. I have National Forest behind my house, and then I have BLM about a quarter to a half mile to the left there. He's doing the same thing for his hunt as well. Don Trader is in the UP of Michigan on public ground, uh, wild bird hunting with Picardy Spaniels. Yeah, <clears throat> beautiful dogs, pretty cool. Joseph Young, yeah, there is public ground in Southern California, and you found it. I love that. Travis Hampton, this is one that I don't, I don't mention much because I don't do it much, but private timber company that allows public access. <clears throat> George Cummins, I won't be seeing you there this year, but uh, I know what public ground you're on, the Pier National Grasslands, Fort Pier. A wonderful place to open a season. Carmel Asir, private out my back door. I like that. Uh, lucky for you. 
uh, Darren Timberlake, usually public. Large group on opening day. Hard to get permission for a group that size is what Darren says, and, and I get it, yeah. Um, private ground for some. Uh, James Fritz is on a preserve. Uh, I like that idea. You, you pretty much have it to yourself that way. State land. You know, a lot of people forget those blue splotches on the map to a great degree. Blue is usually state-owned property, and more, more and more of that is being opened or has been open to hunting. So uh, all of those, uh, Lance Larson, uh, that's why you live there, isn't it? Here in Arizona, it's all public land hunting. There is a lot there, and I cannot wait to get there and try some of it myself very soon. Well, fascinating to know where you go. Uh, maybe somebody there got an idea or two about where they might go. It's all right here, and uh, more to come. We're going to learn a lot about access and strategy how to take care of your dog, and uh, how to how to make a, an awesome upland road trip out of any trip you go on. That's all coming up with Randy Schultz right after this. We're brought to you in part by TrueLockChokes.com. That's T-R-U-L-O-C-K, TrueLockChokes.com. Scott Trulock reminds me that they have a lifetime warranty and a satisfaction guarantee. So try your your new choke tubes within 60 days if you're unhappy with them just send them back but for the life for your lifetime if something goes sideways with those choke tubes send them back and they'll replace them learn more about their warranty their satisfaction guarantee and take a look at the 2000 choices they have at truelockchokes.com and then fuel your dog with Pro Plan Sport dog food from Purina. It's designed for active, hard-working dogs. And don't forget, it's the one brand fueling most sporting dog champions. I mentioned before, Flick's got a little bit of a limp when he gets up off the hard floor. So we're keeping an eye on that. And one thing we're doing is watching uh, his joints. Omega-3 fatty acid and glucosamine are contained in the ProPlan Sport dog food that I feed Flick, and I hope they are going to be helping if that's what his problem is, a little bit of arthritis. He is six, of course. If you want to learn more about the formulations they have that might work best for your dogs, go to ProPlanSport.com. Well, it's been a long time since we've talked. I've followed his, uh, I guess I'll call it growth as a communicator in our world. And also, I, I, I'm jealous of all the places he gets to go. The guy's already got, I don't know how many miles on his truck this year. Welcome back to the Upland Nation podcast. Randy Schultz, I called you a road warrior in the introduction, and I think that's an apt description. Uh, thanks for being with us. How are you? I am doing great. I am great. I'm uh, way better than I deserve. And uh, as long as I got to, I'm still on the green side of the grass, things are going good, I guess. So, uh, yep. And uh, it's good to hear your voice and it's good to uh, be back and talk with you. You know, it's funny. We lead parallel lives in so many ways, um, but we'll get into that later. You know, from books to 
podcast, uh, everything else we do. Um, but we came to it a little later than a lot of other people as well. Um, yeah. But you, like me, I think express the gratitude for coming to it at all. And and I just want you to just share with everybody what it is that that makes you so glad to be a bird hunter. Oh, <laughs> you know, there's one thing they say that uh, I took up fly fishing too, so now I'm totally worthless. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you went backwards. I did it the other way. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so they say that you know about fly fishing that trout don't live in, in ugly places, and that is true, 100 percent true. Not so true in bird hunting <laughs> in the bird hunting world. And uh, in fact, uh, I tell people, look, if you want to really have have some fun in, in some types of birds, you got to look at the nastiest land you've ever seen. Yep. And you out there and comb it with your dog but i just you know the thought of turning into the wind into a cold wind with a runny nose and cold fingers and a, a bird dog in front of me and heading out not knowing where the birds are but just trying to use uh, my dog's nose and my wits to find them that i don't know i just it just gets me excited and uh I, sometimes i just sit down and think of all the times i've done it and I'm just so thankful I get a chance to do that. You can't, you can do it um, uh, without all your facilities, and people do it. And and I'm just I'm just amazed at them. But generally, you need everything working uh, to go out and be a successful bird hunter. And uh, and I'm just I'm just so thankful that I'm in a situation that I can do that. And um, and um, and I just I look for it, uh, scout for it, and and try to uh, and, and try to engage that and, and experience that situation as much as I can. Well, you know, you hit on several things there. The first is the other thing, remember, don't forget, Traver also wrote that one reason he likes fly fishing is because whiskey tastes better in a tin cup. And we'll talk about that <laughs> subject a little bit more later yeah, yeah. as well. Oh, uh, but, but this whole idea of... Be, Man, are we lucky? We've got functioning bodies. We've got incredible dogs and access to all sorts of places. And and I'm reminded of that every time I get a twinge in one of my baseball catcher knees. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, that's that's something, too. You know, uh, your knees, my knees, <laughs> uh, my back, uh, surgeries, uh, and all that stuff. But thankfully... Uh, Thankfully, it's all coming together, and we keep going. Well, you, you are um, you are a busy guy, considering you're, quote, retired, unquote, from a, a career in the Navy, a career in the airlines, and I think in real estate, too, now that I recall. But you're so busy these days. On top of all your hunting, you got a blog, birdhunterthoughts.com. you got a YouTube huh. channel. You've uh, <clears throat> got two books out. And uh, a podcast as well. And uh, like I said, I'm, I'm attracted to the name of that podcast more than anything else. How'd you settle on that? Well, uh, you're talking about Whiskey on the Tailgate? Yes. Yes, yes. That's Actually, that's a, that's a change uh, from the original's uh, title. But uh, I, I came about that because, um, and I wrote a story about it in my second book called Whiskey. Um I realized that almost at the end of every hunting session, uh, whoever I'm with and I will sit down on the tailgate. We'll kind of just go over 
everything that happened. We'll have some laughs and uh, some discussion. And invariably, it involves uh, a fine uh, amber liquid and whatever cups and glasses we can come, you know, we can scrounge up. And uh, maybe a McDonald's cup or, a, you know, yeah, a, yeah. Just, just about anything we can come up with. Uh, but it, it really does taste better sitting on the tailgate. So I was talking to a friend of mine uh, in he he lives in Wisconsin, and he said, "Randy he said, he said that would be a great name for a podcast." Yeah, and I, said, well, yeah. I can't name the name of my podcast now, and he says, "Why not?" <laughs> I said, <laughs> I didn't have a good reason, but this really—if you got just a second—let me tell you a little bit about this story. We were in Wisconsin. We had just uh, finished up a cast and bagged some birds. Um, and my friend and I were uh, sitting on the tailgate, and we were sharing a, a little whiskey, and a, a truck drove up with four bird hunters hanging out the windows with their guns. Oh, God. And, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's Wisconsin. But uh, so they, they pulled up, and they stopped in front of us and said, hey, you guys want a beer? They said to us. And I said, said no, uh, but we've got some whiskey. And suddenly the truck shut down. The doors opened up. Four guys climbed out. With uh, four containers, <laughs> whatever they, <laughs> and and we're suddenly we're sharing our whiskey, and that happened. Let me see. After them, uh, a, a man, a husband and wife came by on a mule, and they stopped. And then a logger came by in a big old pickup truck, and he stopped. And so within thirty minutes, we had uh, what seven or eight of us there standing around the back of my tailgate, talking about grouse hunting. And in an just, empty bottle, I bet. <laughs> oh my gosh, it was just. Uh, Josh, uh, we emptied Josh's bottle, and I found another one in the back of my truck, and we emptied that one. And and um, and the funny thing was, almost the, the funniest part about the whole story was that I I looked at the last bottle and I said, "Oh my gosh!" And you know, a dead soldier here. It's an empty bottle. And uh, I set it down, and I I went around. I ran out into the woods for a second uh, to visit nature, and I came back, and uh, it was just Josh and me again. They were all gone. <laughs> story and, oh, and josh he said how can you remember all that and i said and i've just had got the capability to remember i can remember dogs names and dates and times and places you know i can't remember why i went into the kitchen but i can remember all that other stuff and uh, so anyway i wrote a story about it and that's how the name came to be and um so uh, i it's just you're right i think it's real appropriate uh, absolutely yeah and and i'll tell you it's a tradition with us too i i have a new configuration on the back of my truck that means no tailgate uh but we can still sit on the top of the bed and so that yeah. works out just fine and i've always got a bottle there and um and it's a bottle that most everybody likes what's your favorite what's your favorite whiskey randy well about the benchmark is uh basil hayden uh-huh uh-huh yeah really like that but we've got about i've got about four or five guys i bird hunt with around the country and we're all sort of bourbon um you know specialists you know whatever we just kind of our our, our choice and uh lately rye has been creeping into the brands mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. um, you know basil basil is sort of the benchmark for me i mean it's a very very it's a really really good bourbon oh yeah uh, yeah they will come up with uh, they will come up with some real um, small batch 
bourbons from around the country and uh, and i gotta tell you about half of them are better um yeah and, you know and it's like it's like wines with my wife you know i i don't know what's good i just know what i like and uh you know i like a like a smooth start a smooth finish and uh, just real real nice and easy in the middle so. well there you go uh and from a guy who knows what he's talking about at least when it comes to drinking it on the tailgate that's <laughs> <laughs> that's randy schultz i'm scott linden this is the upland nation podcast yeah let's talk a little hunting before we get too deep into the whiskey thing or we'll never climb out of that rabbit hole <laughs> uh, um you're you're doing so much uh, like i said in the media world uh but you are also living the dream, um, as somebody re- recently described a buddy of mine. He's living his best life ever. Um, where have you been lately, and how's it gone? I uh, typically I would always start in Montana, and I like a like a fool. I would always be in Montana the first of September. Yeah. Well, you know. It only took me 10 years before I realized it's hot in Montana in the 1st of September. So. I do know that, personally. Uh, uh, <laughs> last year, I felt like we were in a prison. It was over 100 degrees some oh. days. You know, it was just horrible. Wow. Uh, you may recall. I mean, you know, it was just bad, bad. Uh, took my camper, and a friend met me there, and he was in a tent, and he rapidly got out of that tent because it never cooled off. Oh, yeah, I bet. Both. Yeah. We were both in the camper, and I told him, I said, I feel like I'm in a prison. We can only hunt, you know, two hours in the morning, and, and, and then it never cools off. Uh, it was just, it was bad. So, uh, you know, I kind of decided that this year we'd go later, and I did. Uh, and I went a little bit later, uh, about the third week. Uh, actually, I went the second week, but I didn't go straight to Montana. I went to uh, Wyoming. And I went up into the mountains of Wyoming, and I really kind of stayed up at about the 8,000-foot level and camped and hunted blue grouse. Okay, and, uh, yeah. Had just had a blast. Um, and, of course, I, you know, I, I got started doing this a couple of years ago, uh, and so I kind of had a couple of honey holes I went to and found birds. And I had my little puppy with me, and she's new, and... She did well, so I did that for a week, and then we had a little get-together. Have you ever heard of that Facebook page, Bird Dogs and Fly Fishing? <clears throat> Have I heard of it? Yes. It's kind of the class of the field, in my opinion. But, I agree, yeah. So we, you know, it's a closed group. we got about 10,000 people that, that uh, hunt and fish. Um, so we, I make it a point wherever I go to try to find somebody from that group and hunting with them and so we met up with about i guess about eight people uh we got an airbnb at at this little town and we hunted out of that town out there in wyoming and and uh did real well uh we just uh some places uh, had had rain and some places did not you know it wasn't really a just a banner year but we we did find birds and i think the best part about it was was just having all these these rapidly you know just (laughs) real bird hunters out there to uh, hunt with every day and we hunted with different people every day it was just just a great thing um you know i, I did that go ahead. go ahead i've thought about uh well i've done similar things to that uh, over the years and and it turns out that uh um whiskey is not the only thing that attracts people like moss to a flame uh 
A flame does. We'll find a, a campfire. We'll, we'll build a campfire in, in some of the places where there are other people. And, and they'll all bring something over and we'll all have a good time. And then the next day we'll pair off and we'll go hunting for a while and then come uh-huh. back and debrief. It, I think sometimes that's the high point of the day. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And that's, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, good and bad. Missed shots and, uh, and buffoonery in the field always gets a, it makes a better story around yeah. the campfire, for sure. <laughs> Was that, um, I, I haven't done near as much hunting in Wyoming as I should. I go through it so many times, but all I do is drive. Um, were, you hunting, yeah. uh, were you hunting huns or sage grouse or uh, chuckers? Well, all the above. Yeah, good. It was all okay. Around. Yeah, moved around. Yeah. Moved around different habitats. And, uh, uh, yeah, I bagged a couple of sage grouse, uh, a couple of uh, hun- huns. And um, and then I got, got some blue grouse up in the mountains. And then um, and then later on, of course, when I got into uh, Montana, I went ahead and, uh, and, and put a couple of shark tail in the bag as well. Yeah. So, I got all those different, uh, all those different species, and um, so yeah. And then later on, after I left the group there, uh, we kind of disbanded. I went up to Montana, and now I'm up there the last week of September instead of the first. And it was it was still warmish, but it was definitely more workable. Did you find? The, did you find uh, that late in the sharp tail season that they were they were bunched up and harder to get to? You know, it's funny. I talked to a friend of mine when I got up there that I knew was in the area, and uh, he said that they were having trouble actually getting to the birds because they are bunched up. Yeah. I did not run into that. I got into the, the, the big groups that I got into were pointed, and I got they were in the shootable range, all of them. So wow. they didn't really get away, but I did notice the groups were getting bigger. They were kind of getting in together. Um, I ran into that that getting bigger group phenomena early in my hunting career up in Montana where you just couldn't get close to them because they'd have a couple of sentinels out in the wheat field and, you know, 100 yards they'd all get up and leave. But, yeah, uh, everybody but, wants to go there uh, and shoot pheasants, huns, and sharpies. And uh, if you can shoot pheasants, it's too late for sharpies. Um, yeah, 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 because pheasant season wasn't even open yet. Yeah, and, yeah. But... I did. Uh, we got into some big groups and really had some really good shooting, um, and you know over points. And uh, yeah. I was just thrilled with that. Uh, oh yeah. So, We've, and then uh, this seemed to be the year of the year in Park Truly, everywhere I went, we uh, were a lot of hunts, a lot of hunts. No, I agree. It's been my experience for the last three or four years. And the other funny thing about hunts. Um, in fact, <laughs> i got to pitch this story to a magazine. Uh, I've been finding Hungarian partridge in all the wrong places. And in fact, this is no exception. You know where we found all the Huns this year in Montana? In what should have been sharp-tail ground. Um, yes. And pheasant ground. Um, uh-huh. The habitats have changed so dramatically. And, and Al Gadori, who guides in Montana, I trust his opinion on almost anything. Uh, he said... Uh, uh, his birds this year were in the wrong places as well, so it's it's mm-hmm. been a strange year. I'm going to blame it on the the you know the rotation of the earth or something like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, I just think the hat is so big that they're just moving out into areas where they normally aren't. Yeah, you know, they're still on 
they're still on the scrabbly tops of those hills. Uh, and you can, they're pretty reliable to find up there. Well, but you're finding them now down into the bottoms, down in the grassy bottoms too. Yeah, you know, it, it, it it's true. It, uh, you just can't. You you just got to cover a lot of ground, is what I I I figured out this time around in Montana at least. Um, yeah. And um, you're headed for uh, North Dakota. Is that what I recall? South Dakota. South Dakota. Yeah. Okay. South Dakota. Uh, you know. October is my most favorite month of the year. <laughs> that's bad grammar, but uh -huh. it's true. Uh, the um, and I have a dog that just tore a CCL and had surgery two weeks ago. Yeah. So it happens to be my he was my six year old, which of course is the powerhouse. Um, and I've got a ten year old, a thirteen and a half year old, which are two dogs that are competent. Of course, thirteen and a half year old just limping around, but. I got a 10-year-old, then I got another one now that's in a cast, basically. And I've got a, a one-and-a-half-year-old wild hair-on-fire wow. <laughs> little puppy. So I'm getting, uh, I had to take October off, which I really didn't want to do. But um, I had to do that to take care of this dog. So I am heading out at the end of October to South Dakota. And I have a, a game warden friend up there that uh, I'll actually be staying with him. But he advised me to to be there that first week of November, not the second week, he said, because that's when gun season opens up. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I talked about gun season for deep. Yep. Uh, but, um, yeah. But, you know, he may, it makes a lot of sense because he sees it all. And he said, Randy, really ought not to be here for gun season for deer wandering around. <laughs> Out where you are with bird dogs with white tails and all this kind of stuff, he said, "I'd really rather have you up here the first week." So, um, so anyway, that's where I'll be up in South Dakota, and uh, I'll be looking for and, and hunting for prairie chickens mainly. That's my that's my bird of choice up there. Um, he told me that they are having an excellent year for prairie chickens. So I'm told, so, and and this will be the first year in in several in which I'm not going to South Dakota. I'm kind of regretting it, oh, but let's talk prairie uh, chickens because it's it's not really something a lot. I shoot chickens as an adjunct to sharp tail hunting. I, I never go after them, but if you're going after them, you must know some things that we don't know. Uh, what kind of habitat are you looking for for a prairie chicken? It's almost identical to sharp-tailed grouse. Yeah. In fact, uh, you know, they're so intertwined. Um, I do know that uh, generally the uh, uh, around the pier area, uh, when you've got a lot of grass, uh, that's that's where I would go. Mm -hmm. And are um, it's it's a hard bird to hunt because there are no real objectives. It's just uh, you look out at a sea of grass that borders up against a wheat field, and um, that's they're going to be probably be chickens there this year, uh, and they'll be out in the middle of that grass. And uh, if, if there's a hill, they'll be sort of on the side of that hill watching you come. Yeah, um, I just I just I love them. Um, I've had I've done past shooting on them, or I've seen a hundred of them come up over a hill and they're headed right at me, and I just crouch down and jump up when they come over 
and and try to bag one, and that's that's difficult, by the way. Well, you know, uh, I've I've heard about that. I've I've actually mentioned it a couple times in a in an article or two. I've never done it. Did you do that on purpose, or was that by accident? Because some well, people, was, I, I'm told, some people will crouch in a road ditch at the end uh, of the day and wait for those birds to fly from wherever they are to their roosts. Oh, sure, sure, and they'll probably come by there every day. Yeah, and uh, there and do it and. You know, I did the math on that, just figuring out a few uh, variables, and you know, you gotta you gotta aim uh, between ten to fifteen feet in front of those guys when they come over. That's that's hard to do for a, you know, unless you're an expert pass shooter, and have done it a lot. To aim fifteen feet in front of a bird, that's tough. <laughs> so now I know why I'm always shooting behind them, no matter what I do. Well, here's here's my one piece of shooting advice given to me every time I'm at the range: miss in front of the bird. <laughs> it still does, still doesn't work for me, but I get the idea. Yeah, <laughs> I hear you. But I do the uh, my dogs. Uh, these birds are fun to hunt because they will hold tight. Yeah, and uh, the cubbies are generally big. Uh, I'm I'm thrilled. I'm absolutely thrilled to hear that it's going to be a good year for them because uh, I just they're just beautiful birds. And you know, if if you like hunting sharptail, then then really, um, when you get into prairie chickens, they're going to act the same. They're not going to sound the same. You know, they don't laugh at you when they fly away. They're very mm -hmm. silent. But uh, they will fly the same distance. Uh, they're in the same habitat. Um, I do know that the uh, the national forest or grasslands uh, biologist up there in South Dakota uh, he manages a lot of land, and I think I'm trying to remember exactly what he told me. If he manages it for chickens, or uh, if he just manages it for upland birds, I'm not real sure now what he told me. But so I don't want to say. But but I do know that uh, there is a preponderance of prairie chickens versus sharptails up there. So. Yeah, I'll never forget the first time I hunted on horseback up there. Oh. We, yeah. oh which everybody should do, by the way. Um, oh, yeah. But we, uh, I was <laughs> I was having a worse than usual shooting day. Um, <clears throat> we'd get lots of great dog work, and then I'd pile off the horse, and uh, the wrangler would hold the horse, and we'd go up and try and push the bird up, and I was missing on everything. Finally, the wrangler got distracted by something on one, one find, and uh, <clears throat> we walked up to where the dogs were pointing, I looked back, and here comes the horse. And he, <laughs> he comes up to the right of me while the dogs are all to the left of me. That horse is smarter than the dog. He pushed the bird out of the, off the ground. <laughs> so we had a flushing Tennessee walker with us. I had no idea. <laughs> that horse would probably see so many. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Yeah. Oh, and those lands, those, that habitat is so perfect for a horse. Um, unbelievable, dude. You know, it is that would that would really be the way to hunt them. Well, I'll tell you, I, I, I came back from that trip and wrote a story for I think um, Gun Dog Magazine, maybe for Pointing Dog Journal. But everybody should get on a horse for at least one hunt. It changes your perspective, and I don't mean just literally. So, uh, so uh, add that to your bucket list if you don't have it on there already. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That'd be fun. Yep. Hey, everybody, you're listening to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden. That's Randy Schultz, author, blogger, podcaster, audible book. Uh, did you read your own audible book? I did. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so we got all of that and a lot more to talk about. We'll get into kind of the nitty-gritty of hunting and road trips and a few other things and probably find a rabbit hole or two to go down again right after this. Randy, you take a minute to rest. I'll uh, I'll pay a couple bills here and we'll go from there. Starting with Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School. Yeah, since that big, bad South Dakota trip, I've gotten much better at my shooting, thanks in large part to the hunting shooting instructors at mid-valley clays and shooting school if you're in western oregon at all make an effort to take a lesson or two while you're there have some fun with all the clay target games including helice look it up it is fun and then take a look at their incredible inventory of shotguns including a whole bunch of sub gauges they always have in stock 20s 28s and 410s and special deals on a lot of special orders. So check them out at midvalleyclays.com. And uh, my friend Fred Bohm at sageandbreaker.com reminds me that they're just about ready to flip the open sign on their new office and retail shop in Sonoida, Arizona. If you're heading for the Mearns Mecca this season, stop by and say hello to Fred and the crew. Sign up for all of their email notifications. You'll find out when the grand opening is. You'll find out about the new products that are in the pipeline right now and the very rare sales that take place. It's all at sageandbreaker.com. And Randy, are you still there? Randy Schultz. I am. Mm Mm-hmm. You um, you have learned a lot, and you have taught me many things about road trips, and especially with a gaggle of dogs like you bring along, uh, you must learn a lot about how to take care of them uh, when you're not at home. I know, right. I, I know I'm looking, uh, I can even see my truck from right here. It is loaded <laughs> to the gills, and it will be until the season's over. Uh, what, what's in your kit? for dog care on road trips? I think, first of all, was a, uh, this, I just made a change recently. Uh, it's crazy that I didn't do this earlier. I moved my dog inside my truck. I took out the entire back seat of my truck, and I've got uh, kennels stacked, four of them, or three of them, actually, and one in the way and back still. But uh, I stacked three kennels back in there, and that took care of the heating and cooling issues that I had transporting my dogs. Yeah, now, uh, yeah. Transporting one dog, or it's, it's usually not a problem, or two dogs, but you know, I had five of them I was transporting. I'm down to four now. But just this summer, I said, now, wait a minute. I don't carry anything in the back seat. The back seat's worthless to me. I carry dog food, maybe some clothes, you know, the, my maybe a cooler. Uh, and so I've got this entire back of the truck underneath the camper shell that uh, I've got the huge back of the truck to carry all that stuff. I said, I'm going to take this seat out. So I just, four bolts, it's gone. I stacked crates in there. And this last trip, the one to Wyoming and Montana, was the first time 
it was like a proof of concept trip for me. And uh, I really, really recommend it. Um, you know, a lot of us drive these big four-door trucks. And uh, I've heard, uh, you know, we've got a lot of room back there. And I I know some trucks actually come with seats that fold flat back there. Yeah. On the yeah, bottom. Yeah. And they fold away. Mine did not do that. Um, so I, I know that Dodge has got some that do that. And it's just totally flat back there. So you wouldn't even have to take the seat out. You just stack your crates on the top back there. And uh, a buddy of mine who's got a Toyota Tacoma did that. And, and he's got his two dogs in the back seat now. And it just solves so many problems. Um, and I, I just I can't say enough about that because of the heating and cooling issue for your dogs. In addition, riding in the back of a truck, a pickup truck, uh, it's I don't care how much padding you put back there. It's tough on a dog. Uh, it it will just vibrate them. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Hitting the bumps, especially in Mern's country and doing the rock crawl up some of those roads. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I Going to hunt for Mern's quail, and I look back there, my dogs are all wide eyed. <laughs> They're about shot for the day, just just getting to where you want to hunt. But, you know, uh, you know, it's it's a running joke, but it's true. They're probably standing up the whole time trying to maintain their balance, and that yeah, that's got to wear out a dog. Yeah, I think so. I think so. So uh, I noticed that, in fact, I've had dogs, my older dog, uh, my uh, Ruby, um, she would refuse to get into the back, uh, into the where I had her crate, you know, in the back of the pickup truck. And so I actually had to move her up to the back seat with her, with her cage. Yeah. And yeah. that's kind of this process of thinking, wait a minute, why can't I move them all up here? Um, but so anyway, so I got that going, um, and anchoring them down and doing some finer, you know, just little modifications on that. Yeah, yeah. Will be the next trip, but that's that's for sure. I wish I'd done that twenty years ago. It's just crazy that I didn't think of that. I've I've used uh, that on occasion, and I th I think I'm going to become a, a a believer after your testimonial. How how about yeah. uh, how about nutrition and uh, and. Uh, I'll call, loosely call it feeding, but you know all the stuff that you put in a dog at the beginning or the end or during a hunt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, uh, it doesn't. If you've got a good feed, and there's a lot of them out there, you know I've got my favorites, and um, you know if, you, if you've got a good feed, a good solid feed that your dogs will stay on the whole time you're on a trip, then that's the base. And you take that base, and I put additives in there for the dogs when we're hunting, uh, and additives for their joints, and add in vitamins and minerals and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I'll add fat yeah. into their feet and all that stuff. And I feed them once a day, and uh, I feed them after they're finished hunting. Mm -hmm. um, usually, I'll feed them all together. But if a dog is really, really put out and he's really tired i mean he's just he's just really done it for me that day i'll wait about an hour and feed him about an hour after i put him up regardless of where we are and i'll sit and just because that nutritionally the best way for performance dogs is one they want to perform on a totally empty stomach right people don't understand that i don't think but they, they need to perform on a totally empty stomach and that means empty from when you turn them out in the morning until they're finished hunting 
And people say, well, where are they going to get their energy? Well, they've got their energy uh, stored in their body from the, when you fed them before. Uh, but they, you do, they don't want to have anything in their stomach. Uh, and then you're supposed to really feed them within 30 minutes to an hour after the end of exercise. Um, so I try to do that too, but a lot of times I miss that and all the dogs get fed, uh, you know, after the, after the last dog goes up in the crate. Sure. Um, a lot of times I'll feed in the field. I've just taken up to doing that. I'll find a spot by myself and I'll put the five or four bur- uh, bowls on the ground and we'll sit there and we'll feed and I'll sit on the tailgate and, and, uh, fill out my log book while they're eating. Um, and the other thing is they need to be hydrated. A dog that's not hydrated will start making mental mistakes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so the, I usually don't do this in the summertime, but when I'm bird hunting, I fill their bowl, their food bowl up with water. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard that dry kibble should be fed dry and then 30 minutes later, give them water. And that's, I don't have, I have no doubt that's the absolute best way to do it, but hunting dogs and the dogs that are canine athlete marathoners like we have, their biggest issue is going to be dehydration. They just cannot get enough water into their body. And a lot of times dogs that are stressed, they won't drink as much. And so then you've got yourself a worsening situation where a dog is is uh, a little bit dehydrated and then their body's getting stressed because they're more dehydrated and then they'll stop drinking. Uh, so the way I solve that is I fill up their food bowl with water. After everything I put in there, I fill it up with water and if they want to eat, they're going to have to drink. And yeah, they're really yeah. hydrated. Um, so I don't do this anytime except when I'm actually have them on the road. How, how about during the day, during a hunt, are you, uh, are you sweetening the water? Not literally, but are you doing anything with the water you provide your dogs? I have some uh, energy-type canine uh, additives that I can yeah. put in their water, and I, I do that. Uh, you know what I found, though, is that most dogs, all they want is clean water. Uh-huh they want and they really don't they'll drink dirty water but what they want is clean cool water and they really don't care about the additives and if i had a if i put down a bowl with a water with additive and and just 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 plain water um nine out of ten of them will go to drink the plain water isn't that the truth yeah i've i've never had much luck with uh all those tricks yeah yeah so you know I, i i keep uh i buy bottled water by the case and I keep it in the back of my truck and I fill up as much as I can uh, with bottled water into their into their uh, water bowls and so on like that into the uh, water that I carry with me in, in my pack and um, so I mean it's crazy I, I just yeah, they're drinking out of mud puddles they're drinking out of stock tanks they're drinking out of all this stuff but I just I want to make sure they've got good, clean water whenever they come to me to get it. Yeah. So, yeah. Water's um, a big thing. Hydration is a big thing. I, I'm also experimenting. You know, for years I was a distributor for a, a product called Pemmican Bars. It, it was really not Pemmican like the old days, but it was it was a high-energy snack for a dog in a very low volume. Yeah. 
And I love that product. Unfortunately, it's not available anywhere in the U.S. anymore. But I've been experimenting with other things that are high fat, low volume, and uh, and I'm still right. on, still on the path toward a, a final solution on that. But uh, <laughs> I've I've settled on egg yolks. Uh huh. Uh, you know, it, it, yeah, they get messy when you put them in your pocket, especially if they break. But, <laughs> but, but no, I put them into a little squeeze tube, and the dog gets a little bit of that throughout the day, and it works pretty well for a little bit more energy. If you're, if you only have one dog, and you got to hunt him three days in a row, uh, you know he's yeah. going to need all the help he can get, and you can't get yeah. enough calories into a dog like that. Right. Yeah, and that's why it's so important to have a good quality feed. Too, yeah, so they're not. Gonna- stressed um and you know i started out with a feed that every that was very common and and i've tried everything yeah. i have tried everything don't worry i'm not going to name any names <laughs> <laughs> i have tried every single thing on the market uh, i've ended up with a feed that is expensive as all get out but my dogs will not back off that feed i can feed it dry i can feed it wet they attack it i mean this last trip i was on the road for 28 days Wow. And they were hitting that feed at the end just like they were the first day out. So that's what you have to find. That's what you have. Don't go by what anybody says or anybody tells you is the best feed. Go out and experiment around until you can find one that your dog will do that. And uh, and then start, you know, adding water to it and adding eggs to it. Uh, I know I got to tell you a, a little bit of a funny story here. It's kind of tragic, actually, but. Uh, I was uh, toying with the idea of feeding uh, organ meat sure. to my dogs. Yeah. And so last year, uh, I was up in Wisconsin hunting uh, rough grouse, and, and I met my, my friend up there, and I said, well, hey, I, I've got these uh, chicken livers I bought. I brought them up with me, so I'm going to give them to the dogs, and you know, you can buy them at the grocery store. So I gave all the dogs their chicken livers, and the next day I got up. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. It was bad. They were. It was coming out of the front end and the back end, and every dog and every crate mm. was totally And um, so apparently, those chicken livers had gone bad. And um, I called uh, a vet friend of mine, bird dog doc, I call him, but um, from out in Castle Rock, Colorado, and told him what happened. He started laughing. He says, "All right, don't feed them. Just you know, hunt them." Don't feed them anything for a day, 24 hours, and then feed them tomorrow, and um, they'll be fine. You know, he assured me they're going to be fine, not going to hurt them. And sure enough, he cleaned it up, but uh, it cleared it up right away. But, you know, I, here I am trying to get all fancy with all this stuff that I really I was experimenting on my dogs, and it just turned south on me, and uh, they let me know. Well, well, I can't argue that at all. I have to sometimes induce Flick to eat at the end of a long hunt, but I've got all sorts of tricks. The one I like most is the easiest one, those little canned dog food, wet dog food. Uh, uh, they You put them underneath the kibble, and all of a sudden he's working towards the, the wet stuff through the dry stuff, and that pays off pretty well. And Absolutely. So, yeah. you know, everybody's got the Back in the day, the trialers would do that with cat food. Uh, and if you've ever fed cats wet food, you know why the dogs like it. It stinks to high heaven. Um, oh, it's nasty. <laughs> yeah, but it works. Um, yeah. How about how about yourself on the road? Um, you know, uh, I'm the uh, same as you. 
uh, aches and pains, um, diet, exercise, logistics, all those things. Of all of the stuff that you need to do or uh, accomplish when you're on a long road trip, what, what is the most important thing you might recommend to the rest of us? I got to tell you, uh, I have a, I mean, just sleep. Yeah. You know, sleep is so important. And uh, after a good night's sleep, I feel like I can conquer the world. But um, I eat breakfast. I didn't used to be a breakfast eater, but I, but I always eat a small breakfast now. Um, and, and I just, you know, nutritionally, and I always take something in my backpack for yeah, lunch. Yeah. And it, it may just be uh, some sausage and cheese, maybe just an apple and, and, and something like that. But it just it forces me to take a break and to sit down with the dogs and just take a minute and, um, and, and eat some lunch nutritionally. But, you know, as, as I get older, I realize that, that, uh, Going slower has a lot of benefits. <laughs> it, it really does. And uh, I tell myself, uh, and I hunt with uh, some young guys now, and, and I look at them go tearing off into the woods, and I say, you know, that was me not too long ago. And uh, I had an older guy I hunted with, used to get all upset with me because I'd just be tearing ahead of him, you know. And, and now I actually called him up and told him, I said, you know what, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And I think by slowing down, not only do I preserve my physical body, but I also find more birds. And I give the dogs a chance to work the ground longer. And I think I'm more successful now than I used to be by flying over country. Oh, no you know, doubt so about it. No, I, I agree 100%. Stopping and smelling the wild roses is a, is a, mm -hmm. the, the ticket to more birds, no doubt. I'm a yeah. big believer. Um, I have a yeah. friend who has two other tricks that he uses and then I've begun to adopt periodically. First, he, he, he waters his dog out of a bowl, a little collapsible silicone, silicone, uh -huh. silicone yeah. bowl, um, which he has to stop, take off his vest, fish it out of the vest, pour some water in and give it to his dog. So that is, that is a four or five minute break. And he yeah. does that periodically, and all of a sudden you're, you're enjoying the view. Your dog is getting rest. You're getting rest. The other thing he does is at noon when he's eat, eating his light lunch, he takes his boots off. Yeah. Oh, man, there's nothing nicer than that. Then the biggest worry is don't fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> so so looking for reasons to just pause. Uh, really enriches the rest of the hunt, I think. And uh, uh, uh -huh. for some people, it's taking a picture or two. For other people, it's something else. But uh, all those things. Uh, Speaking what, of boots, do you uh, do you wear your boots from when you get up until you go to bed? No. In, in fact, you, I, I'm putting a new oh. I'm putting a new pair of moccasins in my trailer today. Uh -huh. <laughs> Um, because there's no better feeling than taking off those boots at the at, right at right after you put the tailgate down and pour the first glass. Yeah, that's right, absolutely. And I had a friend of mine point that out to me. He said, "Randy, you do that." I said, I "Do what?" He said, you, "You take your boots off, put your other shoes on." I said, "Absolutely, I do." And uh, he said, "I've been noticing all you old guys do that." <laughs> I said, yeah, maybe you're young enough you can learn something early. I said that's just is a wonderful feeling to get rid of those boots and put on some 
put on some nice, well-worn shoes. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah. Now, now we're good. That's a rabbit hole we don't need to go down. That old guy rabbit no. hole. Um, mm. But I did. I, I, here's a more practical question. You, you just mentioned your your last trip was 28 days. Uh-huh. Whew, man, I wish I could say that. Uh, but you shoot a bird on day two. Mm-hmm. And you shoot a bird on day twenty-eight. Um, I know you're enjoying most of them uh, quite often in 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 pretty nice, interesting recipes. Right. But yeah. Is that the, there's no other way to bring that many birds home? First off, there's possession limits. Second off, there's practicalities. Uh, yeah. But what, what about storing birds on a long hunt? whether it's five days or 28 days, what do you do? You have to be real careful with your cooler. Mm -hmm. I mean, you do. And so, you know, initially when I get back to the truck, let's say I've got uh, three uh, prairie chickens in my bag. So I will not, um, especially if I'm going to be traveling from state to state, here's where it gets complicated. Uh, Let's say instead of prairie chickens, I have sharp-tailed grouse. I have three sharp-tailed grouse. I shot them in Montana. I'll be traveling to visit a friend of mine in South Dakota, who happens to be a game warden, by the way. So, <laughs> anyway, I become, I'm really, really, <laughs> really becoming uh, familiar with these. So, there, of course, there are sharp tailed grouse in South Dakota as well. And so, I've got these three uh, sharp tails. So, what I, will get, what I will do is I will open up the sharp tail and gut them. Yeah. I reach, reach in, pry the breast up. Reach in there with my hand and pull all the pull all the innards out. And uh, some people feed that stuff to your dogs. I've just not gotten to that state. No, yet. it's I worse just... than bad livers. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so I will do that. I will gut them, and then I will take a baggie and I will put them all three into a baggie, and then put that and squeeze all the air out of it, and then put that baggie into my cooler. And so they travel well that way. You've gotten rid of everything inside the bird that may contaminate the meat, and uh, you've got them. Uh, you know that's uh, pretty much a, a limit in some states. In other states, you can get four. Some you know some states five maybe. But uh, you can I can write on the outside of the baggie what I need to do to make it legal to cross state lines with those yeah, birds. Yeah. You know, I need to put my name and the date and the location and my license number and. And I may have to sign it. I'm not sure about all that yet, but I, that's what I do. And uh, on the outside of the baggie, using a sharpie, yeah, and then put it in, uh, put it in the the cooler. If I get stopped and get checked, uh, which is happening more and more in a lot of states now, I can they can say, "Would you mind if we see your birds?" I say, "No, show them to them," and and there they are. And uh, I know I'm under the possession limit for Montana, uh, and that, you know I shot those, and so then I will try to. I will try to, uh, to keep them until I eat them, wherever that might be. Uh, I don't bring a whole lot of birds home. I eat a lot of them on the road. Yeah. A yeah. Lot of them. Um, you know, if there's more than just me hunting, then I make it a point at night to uh, let's cook these birds up. And, uh, I mean, what more healthy dinner can you have than the game bird you just shot that day? Uh, and, you know, I've just got great i've just got good recipes that i use and a lot of them are just kind of made up but sure that they work and uh you know i call them you know sharp tail fritters is what i call them you know using a, the two breasts and cheese and 
jalapeno pepper wrapped in bacon. I mean, what could go wrong with that? <laughs> yeah, I got a tip for you on that. Speaking of that sort of thing, you know, uh, there there are several ways to improve any recipe, and one of them is more bacon. Bacon, <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah, I, I tell you, I I I am a believer now in in uh, quote hanging unquote game. Uh-huh. Nobody really mm-hmm. hangs it, uh, but but I had a I had a similar trip where I shot a bunch of Huns in uh, Montana forgot about them in the cooler until i got to south dakota so they were five days in the cooler uh-huh. then we ate them that was the best uh-huh. bird best wild bird dinner i ever had now oh, yeah. you know some people would think that's a little disgusting but uh, maybe six days it would have been but uh, yeah. but the idea I mean, of letting cool. birds age is is something that that also has a lot going for it doesn't it yeah that's like being in the fridge you know i mean yeah so, yeah uh, and, you know, I found out, too, uh, just this last year, I started using dry ice in the bottom of the cooler mm-hmm. instead of using, you know, frozen water. And, you know, that, I like it. I like it a lot. I just wish it was more available. I'm not sure where to get it on the road. I get it here before I leave. Uh, and it'll keep everything in the cooler for about three days, um, you know, if you use a Yeti and don't get into it too much. But um, but I really like that, too, using dry ice. Um, but... Did you, when you had those hunts, did you gut them first? Or did you yes, that, I got that far. You know, I do that almost almost a, yeah. right after the dogs are watered at the end of the day. And yeah. so, so the birds, uh, like you, they don't have anything inside them. So you can, you can rest them, age them, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, uh, yeah. and as long as nothing funny happens. Here's a tip on dry ice that I'm going to use for the first time. I think it's going to, it makes a lot of sense at least. Mm-hmm. Buy some dry ice, put your other ice on top of it. The dry ice keeps your other ice cold too. Yep. So Interesting. I'll, yep. Re- I'll report on that from the field. Uh, yeah. You'll see how long that lasts. Yeah. 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 Hey, tell me a little bit about your books. Uh, you know, it's been a while since I've I've reread them. But uh, you know, what what are you trying to convey to people in your books? By the way, the titles are Endless October and then. <clears throat> Endless October two, October season two, yeah. Um, what do you? What kind of stories have you got in there? You know, they're all, all but a few. All but a few are are true. Yeah, uh, and not. I mean, they're not mostly true. They're true to a fault, actually. And I've got a. I've got one in there that's purely fiction, and I wrote. I I preface it with saying this. You know, at the end of it, I say this was purely fiction. And then I've got one in there that was written about a moose, but <laughs> so it's nothing to do with birds at all. But it was me being attacked by a moose when I was growing up. What what size shot do you use on moose, by the way? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I had a twenty-two in my hand at the time, <laughs> so that's what I. But I was severely undergunned for that moose. Oh yeah. But so I, I really write them with uh, most of them are appropriate to people who've been bird hunting a while because they'll recognize what's happening but in the back of my mind i'm writing them for someone that's really trying to understand bird hunting Mm -hmm. and so i write them from the from the point of this is what's happened to me and this is how i got myself into this situation and this is how i got out of that situation and there may be something you can learn from this and um you know it's it Every story in there is, is uh, 
you know, it's instructive to, to a degree. But you don't know you don't know you're learning anything because I think the the story can keep can keep your interest as far as uh, what's happening just on the base of it. You know, you can um, you know stories about my dogs and what they find and where they go and what happens to them. Um, you know, we can all learn something uh, when you tell me stories about your dogs and where you hunted and what you've done. Uh, I will invariably pick up something that that um, that I didn't know, and um, you know that uh, your book that you sent me not oh, that was a couple of years ago, at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I read that. I read that book in in like uh, it was it was like a day, and. It's what my dogs taught me. Is that it correct? Is That's that close it? enough, by the way. Uh, and the new paperback edition is now called something else, Training and Hunting Bird Dogs. Gee. Wow. Uh, yeah. That's the marketing department for you, but uh, what am I going to say? <laughs> uh, so, oh, just, yeah, you, you want to get it now. You look, Just look for my name in Amazon. It's the easiest way to do what it. What the dogs taught me. That's yeah, exactly. Yeah. looking at it right here. I was looking over at my at my. my uh, my bookcase there and uh yeah and i enjoyed that so much and you, i learned so much from what you what you were, were writing about a lot of it i was going yeah yeah i understand that i've seen that i understand that but then some of it i said you know i never thought of that before that's awesome well thanks i appreciate that that was the whole goal there was to to bring up things that nobody else had brought up before um, right maybe someday right. I'll, I'll i'll become a storyteller like you but of all the stories you're telling what what one has a little bit of that educational aspect while still um entertaining us that you can share with us chapter seven <laughs> my not that i have it right on the tip of my tongue the chapter <laughs> seven of my book is the only story that I tell in either of them or there's a third one coming out so that any of them that is about a, the, the last hunt and um, that was a tough one that was a tough one for me to write and it was even tougher for me to read and I had to uh, when I did the audible portion the audible book oh god I had to redo it about five times. Sure, yeah. I'd get there, and then I'd really get into the story again, and I'd relive it, and then I'd, you know, my voice would break. It was just <laughs> terrible. And so I tell people, I say, when I give them the book, I say, when you read Chapter 7, you know, kind of be off by yourself. I'm just giving you a fair warning. <laughs> wow. Well, I, I might be afraid I ask this question now, because I don't, I don't want to stop the podcast, because we're both too sad. <laughs> Oh gosh, it was it's just and I I do a uh, I actually read uh, that on my YouTube page. I actually read that chapter seven uh, oh, wow. for for a YouTube uh, thing and, and and towards the end there's like break 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 <laughs> <laughs> and I come back and I'm just not, I'm not ashamed of that at all because it was just one of these you know it's it's like your best dog ever and, yeah. Uh, and it was a me and Ace and what we did our last hunt together and uh, up there in Montana. And uh, the whole time I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I will be doing this next year. But, you know, little did I know it was the last hunt. And, uh, you know, it's just – and I worked through that. And i got to tell you, Scott, there's a lot of people, me included, that really don't want to read about that because it's just too, too intense. 
so I guess maybe it's sort of a fair warning. <laughs> well, there you go. You know, in, in this day and age, that's a good thing. Um, some yeah. people think, but, um, but thanks for sharing it with us. And yes, um, there are, in fact, uh, one of the editors I work with, uh, in the writer's guidelines, it, it, it says in bold face, capital letters, no dead dog stories. And, right. Yeah. <laughs> and interestingly, yeah. uh, there's another editor who can't get enough of that. So go figure. There's always something to learn from that. Uh, what did you, what did you take away from not just the writing of that, but, but of the experience itself? Uh, it never gets easier. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's just, it, it, it took me a while to, uh, learn that, you know, it's just the memories of that dog and now all the dogs. In fact, I wrote a story about it, about now when I travel around the country, um, I'll get out of the truck and I'll remember about a dog that's been dead for 10 years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He hunted this exact same spot. And what happened that day and what we found or didn't find or, you know, it's, it's hard. Sometimes I have just have to go to places I've never been before because, you know, I've got memories of all these dogs and what we've done and where we've been. So, um, you know, I, I just learned to embrace it. Yeah. And just, just that is part of bird hunting and it is a, a part that you can run away from or it's a part that you can embrace. And I think the, the sport is richer when we sit down and we embrace um, our dogs' lives and uh, not only how they lived them, but how they ended them. And I just, I, I think that's a real important thing. And uh, I think that comes with, uh, I was going to say age, but more, more, I think, maturity. Yeah, there's a difference. Being, yeah. Being able to brace, you know, embrace that. Um, and I, I, I don't counsel people, but when guys come to me and say, you know, you know, old biscuits on his last legs or something, you know, I say, listen, this is how you do that. You know, you don't take them to the vet. Don't ever do that. Don't, don't, don't go into the vet's office with your dog to be put down. I hate that term yeah. to be put down. Yeah. Uh, you sit out in the truck, you hold them in your arms and have the vet come to you. If your vet won't come to you, get another one. Precisely, you know, I can't argue that at all. It's absolutely true. Yeah. Let's. You don't need it. Yeah. Well, thanks. I I know that's a tough topic to to talk about, and uh, we've all been there, some more than more often than others. But it is a part of the whole thing, and we could be grateful also at the incredible experiences we shared with our dogs, and and oh, that might be a good way to look at it. And it sounds like that's what the story could be about too. Yes, absolutely. Well, let's let's talk about some of the brass tacks here. Let's uh, before I cut you loose, um, uh, give us a couple uh, lessons you've learned about um, about hunting with dogs that that we may not have learned yet. Can you enlighten us onto some things that we could do better or avoid doing? You know, it's. I don't know about avoiding things, but I do know that, that what I've learned from my dogs over the years is to give them a chance. Mm -hmm. Just stop. Let them hunt. Um, I think the biggest thing that I see younger hunters do is trying to over-control their dogs. Mm -hmm. And I just tell them, dude, he's got the nose. You know, let him, let him use it. 
let them use it. I just take more, much more time in the field to let my dogs, uh, each one of them, to work an area thoroughly and then move on. And I just, just I, I think maybe it's just a slowdown. Maybe that's the overall, uh, the overall benefit of 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 uh, being able to slow down with a bird dog and let him use his nose and, and work it out because. Many, many times I'll find birds now in places where I've walked past. Yeah. Or, or I know a dog didn't go up there. And instead of waiting for him to come back and sending him up there to see if there's anything up there, um, you know, I just said, oh, you know, we'll just, you know, no big deal. We'll just keep moving along and then find out that there's a monster covey right up, right up that little slough. Um, so I, I think the big, best thing to do is just to slow down and let your dog work. Yeah, and, uh, the biggest thing, and as as far as don'ts, you know, I just I don't know. I had one guy tell me that a bird dog is nothing more than life support for a nose. <laughs> yeah, and, so true. It was so true. Life support, and so you've got to let that nose do its work, and, and that's the that's the best advice I can give anybody that hunts with bird dogs. Let yeah. them do the work. Amen to that. Uh, That's Randy Schultz. You can learn more about him at his blog, abirdhunterthoughts.com. He's got a YouTube page. I I think, Randy, check me on this, A Bird Hunter's Thoughts. Is that right? Mm -hmm. And then his books so far, Endless October and Endless October Season 2, with another one on the way. When can we expect to see that one, Randy? Well, I'd like to have it out before Christmas, but I'm not so sure that's going to happen. But this one's going to be a hardback. Um, with color pictures in it, color photos. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'm excited about it because, you know, the photos lose a lot. Yeah. <laughs> color black and white. So uh, that's what we're working on. Right. And uh, see, uh, it's going to be a compilation, I think, of the best of, uh, plus with a lot of new stories in there as well. So, Well, watch for yeah. that probably on Amazon, among other places. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. And then the podcast, Whiskey on the Tailgate. Yeah, I like that title, and, and it is, it's a lifestyle, too. And um, you might be searching for a McDonald's cup or something like that. I just get a long straw and drop it straight into the bottle. Yeah. <laughs> That's hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. Kids, don't try that at home. Uh, uh, i'm scott linden this is the upland nation podcast gonna say goodbye to you randy thank you so much we got to do this uh, around a campfire sometime soon and in the meanwhile let's talk about that project we talked about off mic because that would be fun so anyway randy schultz what a great experience talking with you again i'm glad we got caught up thanks so much for being a part of the upland nation thank you And don't you go away, because we have still got a little bit more coming here, including um, kind of a a road trip suggestion in the same arena uh, that I personally have experienced that might be worth a visit from you as well. But first, a word from LandTrust.com. Just like it sounds, LandTrust.com. I've been sampling some of their properties. Uh, They are basically, uh, think of them as an Airbnb for hunters. You go on the website, you find a place that you like, you make arrangements with the landowner and the land trust people who are there to help you make them uh, correctly. 
and then you just show up. You got the whole place yourself. Your dog has untrod territory to work. It's privately owned, so it's well-managed. And um, boy, I'll tell you, so far, so good with me. Flick's having a great time on some LandTrust.com properties. And so is my lovely wife, who's come along with us. You can camp on many of these properties right there next to the field you're going to hunt. And the fields are available in any number of states. Look at the map. Learn more about how it works. Sign up for the free account at LandTrust.com. And once you're there, you want to shoot the best you can. So take a look at HighVizSites.com. H-I-V-I-Z Sites.com. See what you've been missing. I know putting one of their uh, light pipe sites on the muzzle of my barrel has helped me just subconsciously. But there are a lot of ways that it could help you as well, and they're easy to attach. Hey, a music major, and I put mine on. Most of them mount with a magnet or just a simple screw attachment. Anybody can figure it out. Try it for a while. You'll see why it's original equipment on everything from Ruger and Smith & Wesson to Benelli, Browning, and Remington. For more information, just go to highvizsites.com. Click on the Learn tab at the top. There's a couple dozen shotgunning tips there that might be of, um, of use to you. HighVizSites.com Now I'm not going to give you an exact starting point beyond the town itself, but if you're dabbling with the idea of becoming a chucker hunter and you can get to the west the great basin of course is uh, is the starting point for so many incredible chucker hunts and the bonus on most of those is valley quail depending on where you are but that is my experience in a place called winnemucca nevada yeah remember the johnny cash song well there's a lot to be said for that old railroad town that now is a mining mecca a lot of gold mines out there. Of course, the home of the Nevada Chucker Foundation banquet every January. And just a great little town for a whole bunch of reasons. You've got a few kind of low-key casinos, some great Basque food, and then access to millions of acres of public land. The Bureau of Land Management handles all the administration on most of that stuff. You look at a map there, and if it's a real paper map or even most of the online or digital maps, all that yellow paper is public land. Just find some stuff that looks like chucker country and go at it. You're looking for the very same things you are anywhere else for chuckers. you got some topography, some uh, alluvial slopes, lots of rim rock, cheat grass, water of one sort or another. Find a spot, park at the bottom of the canyon, and walk uphill. Winnemucca, Nevada, maybe I'll see you there this season. And the road trip this week was brought to you by MidwayUSA.com. They carry just about everything for shooting and hunting and the outdoors. Yeah, I've gotten some great camping gear there in the last few weeks. Uh, you know, just trying to fill out all the unfilled niches in my truck and my travel trailer. They've probably got it. Check them out at MidwayUSA.com. If you need to fill your ammo supply, 
They've got all that non-toxic stuff if you need it for wherever you're going next. Bismuth, steel, it's all in stock, ready to go. And they do their best to get it out as quickly as possible. Sign up for emails or text messaging for notifications on all their upcoming new product announcements and sales. You'll get 10% off your next order. It's all at MidwayUSA.com. And PointerShotguns.com is where you find your next shooting iron. Whether it's for you, for a newbie, for one of your kids. They got a lot of youth models. They got a lot of small gauge guns, including a new 28 gauge case colored over and under. They're all there at PointerShotguns.com. All of their shotguns carry a seven year warranty. Because there's nothing worse than watching that pheasant tower up in front of your pointed steady dog and then hearing a click instead of a bang. Learn more at PointerShotguns.com. And this is when I thank you for being the best listeners in the whole podcast world. Love talking with you. You know how to reach me. Any old way you reach me, I promise I'll respond. Thanks to all of our sponsors from sageandbreaker.com to pointershotguns.com, Pro Plan, Sport, Dog Food, Mid Valley Clays and Shooting School, True Lock Chokes, MidwayUSA.com, and LandTrust.com. If you left a rating or a review, hope it was a nice one. Thank you in advance if you're thinking about doing that. And to all of you who have commented at our social platforms, very useful stuff. Somebody else besides me is going to benefit as well. Thank you for being a part of the Upland Nation. I'm Scott Linden. I'll see you in the field.